Have you ever heard a Christian man say, I'm struggling? That phrase right there, I'm struggling, is probably the most common way Christian men describe an ongoing attempt to break free from sexual sin. But here's the problem. Many of those men, if they really came clean about the depth of the lust in their minds, or if they completely disclosed how often they were watching pornography, you might wonder if there was any struggle at all, and if maybe it would be more accurate to say, I am a slave to lust. I'm Nate Dancer. This is Purity for Life. In today's episode, biblical counselor Luke Imperato joins me to get to the heart of addiction. What gets you off track is your desires. You're enticed, and then you're lured, and then off you go. Then you you don't get to decide where it takes you. But it's like, okay, but there was something in you that desired to initiate that. And that's where if you want to get follow this thing down to the root so that you don't get carried away by this thing and become an addict to it, well, then work on the desire of your heart. Maybe more professing Christian men should ask themselves, am I a slave to my lusts? That level of honesty could very well open the door to real freedom. Thanks for joining us again on Purity for Life. Here we go. All right, so Luke Imperato is joining me in the studio. Luke is a biblical counselor and the director of our residential program here at Pure Life. Luke, thanks for coming in. It's good to be here, Pastor Nate. All right, so Luke, this, uh, this episode is part of our Ask the Counselor series where we try to give biblical answers to really common questions about sexual sin. And today's question is, Am I struggling or addicted? Mm, okay. And the reason that I thought that this would be helpful to talk about is because when professing Christians talk about sexual sin, they mm-hmm. almost universally use the word struggle to describe what they're doing. Yeah, sure. I, I struggle with sexual sin or I struggle with looking at porn. I'm mm-hmm. sure you've heard that a lot. Yeah, struggling with porn or whatever. Yeah, it's, yeah. yeah it's a common one for sure. And... You know, so Joe Christian could say, I'm struggling with sexual sin, Mm -hmm. but then when you ask more probing questions, this could mean that he's watching (laughs) porn five hours a day. You never know what answer you're going to get from that. Yeah, or he's going to strip clubs. Yeah, Yeah, right. So Mm -hmm. I think a person really should ask this question, man, should I use the word struggling or should I be saying, am I addicted? Mm -hmm. And so you're a biblical counselor and... You know, the word addiction isn't in the Bible. So to start off as a biblical counselor, how do you respond to that? Like, Sure. Yeah. And, you know, addiction almost always has a negative connotation to it. You know, there's the drug addict, there's the sex addict, there's uh, but, you know, there could be other gambling addiction, addict. gambling, right. and, and drinking, um, well, we already said that, dude, the alcohol addictions and smoking and, you know, and all these other addictions and it generally just has a real negative, even maybe a serious connotation to it, you know, like, and, wow, okay, those are for the really bad people. There are the addicts. So I thought, well, you know, let's take a little time and actually take apart this word addiction, because like you said, it's not really um, the best word in biblical counseling. We don't typically like it because the world has taken it and made it like an impossible condition that you have, basically. Hmm. And so we don't want to label ourselves as addicted because I don't know that there's much hope from the world's perspective Hmm. if I'm addicted to something. Uh, So I I did some research here, and what? how does the world 
define the term addiction. And dictionary.com defines the word addict as a person with an uncontrolled compulsion to continue engaging in an activity despite suffering negative personal or professional consequences or to habituate or abandon oneself to something compulsively or obsessively. Okay. So dictionary.com is already saying that this is an uncontrolled compulsion that you have. Yeah. And that's that's an addict. And even though I keep suffering, mm-hmm. I just can't it's, stop. I keep It's going. an uncontrolled keep... compulsion. Yeah. yeah. Sorry. Yeah. The National Institute on Drug Abuse, a branch of the National Institute of Health, NIH, said this about addictions. I, th- I think this is really interesting. Addiction is defined as a chronic relapsing disorder. So right off the bat, they label it as a disorder. Characterized by compulsive drug seeking and use despite adverse consequences. Yep. It is considered a brain disorder because it involves functional changes to the brain circuits involved in reward, stress, and self-control. Then they go on to say that addiction is a lot like other diseases, such as heart disease. Both disrupt the normal, healthy functioning of an organ in the body, and both have serious harmful effects, and both are in many cases preventable and treatable. If left untreated, they can last a lifetime and may lead to death. So basically, from a worldly perspective, if you're addicted to something, whether it be porn or hardcore drugs, your problem is considered a disease or a psychological disorder. And it really has disrupted your otherwise normal, healthy life. And really at the core of this mentality is the belief that we all start off with good intentions, but some of us just get sick with these diseases that negatively affect our lives. It's like the healthy person getting diagnosed with cancer or, you know, a man who just has a sudden heart attack um, or all of a sudden they you know, are addicted to drugs or they have these, this, an, an overdose. And it's like putting all of that in the same category as a sickness or an yeah. illness. But really it was something that came on. It was an outside influence that came on this person. Yeah. And it then creates a real victim mentality because you know, we could blame our parents for not raising us correctly and we could uh, blame our genetic makeup. Maybe we, we were just more predisposed to – this type of behavior, we could blame our environment or trauma, things that have taken place in our lives, other people, the stress, all of it. I mean, we could just come up with all sorts of outside influences that are the reason we have this condition, this mm. disorder, this disease. Mm. But now, as Christians, we believe that coming into a true relationship with Jesus will provide what we need to live a victorious life. And we believe that the Bible has the answers, and the Bible gives us instructions on how to live a godly life, and it prepares us even for every good work, as Paul said in Second Timothy, right? So when I look at this issue of addiction, I want to ask myself, what does the Bible say about addiction? Sure. Okay? Because the world labels it as a disease, a brain disorder. Well, what does the Bible say about addiction? And an interesting discovery— So in my research here, uh, I actually found that the King James Version uses the word addicted. I I did not know that until 
researching for this uh, podcast, King James Version actually uses the word addicted. What <laughs> in the world? It's a real thing. Who would have known? I I had no idea. In uh, 1 Corinthians 16, 15, Paul says, they have addicted themselves to the ministry of the saints. I was like... <laughs> So anyway, okay. But, so in the in that passage, it's the Greek word tasso, okay, which the King James translates as addicted. Okay. But look at how some other translations use that word. Some other modern translations of that verse, the New King James says devoted. They devoted themselves to the ministry of the saints. Some other translations say spent all their time serving God. They are spending their lives in service to God's people. And tasso is used seven other times in the New Testament. And it can also be translated as like set or arranged, specifically arranged under authority. An interesting use of this word tasso was the Roman centurion in Luke 7 when he said, I am also a man tasso under authority. I have been placed and put under the authority Hmm. of his superiors. And you get kind of the sense that this word means to be devoted or set under authority or set underneath something. It's the way it's going to be. And in other words, biblically speaking, like an an addiction then means that I'm continually surrendering myself to something by placing myself under its authority. And Paul uses this concept in Romans 6, and he uses the the word slave or a servant. And listen to Romans 6.16 in the Amplified Version because it really takes this concept and explains it very well. Do you not know that if you continually surrender yourselves to anyone to do his will, you are the slave of him whom you obey, whether that be to sin, which leads to death, or to obedience, which leads to righteousness? right doing and right standing with God. So you see right there that Paul is saying, if, if you are continually surrendering yourselves to the will of another, that's going to determine your destination. That's going to determine who you serve. Yeah, I really appreciate what you're saying because I feel like that kind of cuts through to the reality of, of stuff mm-hmm. when you're saying that a person is under the authority of this sin or they're they are devoted to this sin. Now, they probably don't think about it in terms of, I'm willingly devoting myself to this sin, Mm -hmm. but they can definitely feel like the control of it, right? And I think what's confusing maybe is that what people do is say, yeah, but I'm serving the Lord, you know, Mm -hmm. because I'm going to church, and mm-hmm. because I go to small group, and what mm-hmm. they would say is, no, 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 I, I'm not a slave of sin. I'm a servant of the Lord because I'm in the church and I'm doing this stuff. Mm-hmm. But then you look at you know Monday to Saturday or the bulk of their life and you're going, whoa, but you're a slave. Mm-hmm. And I think that's what you're bringing out is that this word tasso is like, it's getting to the heart of things. What's the reality? Mm-hmm. What are you controlled by? And that's what I think is Paul's argument in there is like you you have a desire for something and you put yourself under the authority of that person. They're going to take it from there. 
And that's what we see in our own lives when we're battling these addictions or these, if we want to call it a struggle against sin, it's like we're trying everything to we can to stop it, but it just takes us. It takes us, it takes us beyond where we wanted to go. It's just like it has control over you. And yeah. Yeah. That's, I think that's really good. You just said, I gave my desire yeah. to this thing, and mm-hmm. then it took it from there. Yeah. Yeah, and that's where I think when you look at James chapter 1 where he says, okay, what gets you off track is your desires. You're enticed, and then you're lured, and then off you go. Then you you don't get to decide where it takes you. It's like a fishing lure, right? That's what James was referring to there. We saw it was pretty, and the same thing, it goes back to the garden. Like Eve looked at the fruit and said it was good to eat, right? And it looked right, and I'm going to do this. And she didn't, you know, really think past the consequences, and neither does the fish when he bites yeah. the lure. You know, is all of a sudden now he's taken to a place he that he doesn't have. He didn't want to go. He doesn't have control over where he's going. But it's like, okay, but there was something in you that desired to initiate that, and that's where if you want to get follow this thing down to the root, so that you don't get carried away by this thing and become an addict to it, well, then work on the desire of your heart. Hmm. Because there was something in you initially that said, wait a minute, I think I do want to see this pornographic image, or I do want to give over to whatever my sin is, you know, because it fed that carnal nature, just felt fed the desires. That's why, that, that's the root of it. Hmm. Yeah. I can definitely remember in my own life, man, when I was 15 and I started going down this path, sure. I saw that image, I wanted it, I hid it, mm-hmm. I, I deleted my... <laughs> Protected his, my, it. Yeah. yeah, I protected it. Yeah. I lied. Sure. I would um, try to get it whenever I could, mm-hmm. that kind of thing. You know, y- you go down that trail for 10 years, and suddenly you're in a place that you don't want to be. Yeah. And so then you start saying to yourself, no, no, I don't want this. Mm-hmm. I don't want it. But I think the Lord is trying to get some of us to look at the history and go, but you did, you want, did it. want it. Yeah, there was something that's that in you that wants it. Yeah, and so now you're in this place where you're controlled, and then we kind of go, well, I'm not really controlled. I'm just, you know, yeah, I'm struggling. Sure, and that's where we get into like minimizing and justifying mm-hmm. our sin, mm-hmm. and that that's just never a way out. Yeah. It's never a good form of escape. Yeah. I think one of the reasons why people might say, no, 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 I'm not an addict, I'm just struggling, mm-hmm. is because in an effort to break free, they've tried an, a lot of different things, like they've read books, they've gone to accountability groups, they have filters, they've confessed to a counselor, or mm-hmm. maybe they've even gone to a, a biblical counselor. And so, like, to them, all of that effort to not have this sin in their life says, I'm not controlled, I'm just struggling. What do you say to a person in that situation? Yeah, and it's my own personal testimony. That's definitely what I did. You know, I, I lived a majority, in my mind at least, like I was living a Christian life. You know, I did the church attendance and read the books and went to the services and involved in ministry and all of that. I just had this problem of the sexual sin that I just couldn't seem to break free from, okay? And so I understand 
in many ways that that thought process because I would have never told you I was addicted to this stuff. It was just a struggle. That's exactly what I would have told you. <laughs> you know, so but basically we really have to be careful because what we're doing is justifying ourselves. That's what I was doing. I, if I could put enough good things in the good pile, right, the church attendance, and even like accountability and the filters and read the books and go to the services and the fast and filter on my phone and all of that. If I could do all of this, then it's like, look, I'm doing all these good things. So occasionally I have this fall or I'm having this fall just regularly. But you know what it is? In the context of all the good things I'm doing, it's just... This is just an addiction that I can't break free from because look at all these good things that I'm doing. And so we're justifying this sin with the list of all the good things that we're doing. Mm. Or another way of looking at it is we're minimizing it, making it seem like that's a small issue. And what's the big issue is all of the good things I'm doing. We, we, you know, we, we try to maximize in a way the good behavior while minimizing the sinful behavior. Yeah. And... Really, this same approach, though, it's nothing new, okay? Mankind has been minimizing and blame-shifting and justifying for thousands of years, I mean, all the way back to the garden. But a really good example of this is Saul. And I use this in counseling all the time because Saul was given very clear instructions to destroy the Amalekite nation, to kill everything that was there. They weren't supposed to take anything from the nation. They were supposed to kill and destroy all of it. And it's one of the most detailed descriptions of how that was supposed to go down. And in 1 Samuel 15 is, is where that account is. And I'll just kind of read through some of this because it's so it's it's just so applicable to how we how we operate. You know, so Saul goes and and he doesn't kill all the Amalekites. And then Samuel, the prophet, like the representative of God, comes and says, hey, Saul, what's going on? And, you know, his response is, blessed, you know, are you of the Lord? I've performed the commandment of God. You know, like just all this spiritualism. So right away, he's just masking his life with spiritualism. Right? Yep, been there, done that. But then Samuel says, okay. But what's this bleeding of the sheep I hear? I hear I see these animals in front, and I see King Agag right here. Like, what are you talking about? I thought God said to destroy all of it. And Saul's response was like, Oh, well, he blame shifts right well, the people. They brought this, they brought these things back from me. You know, so right away they're blame he's blame shifting. And then he justifies it by saying, Well, it's not even really my fault, but also, I mean, I understand because I was going to bring all this stuff as a sacrifice to the Lord anyway, and he would have been pleased that I brought all these things as a sacrifice to God. And Samuel, like, eventually just shut him down and said, no, that's not how this works. And eventually, as you read on in the account there, he lost the kingdom. The Lord judged him and said, look, you're no longer king because I would have preferred obedience mm-hmm. over your sacrifice, right? And so... I think the deception that many fall prey to is that they think if they could remain faithful in a lot of these Christian outward behaviors and do a lot of these fighting or struggling things, that God will just understand and overlook the sin. But you've really just justified it and minimized it and sidestepped the entire repentance process. And according to the Word of God, like that's not acceptable in the eyes of the Lord. Hmm. Yeah, well, I I think you probably just described a lot of different people, mm-hmm. and they have sidestepped the repentance process for years 
because they've minimized this into, well, I'm just struggling, mm-hmm. or they've maximized the things that they have done. Well, I did the filter, and I did this, and I did that, and by the way, mm-hmm. you know, I also go to a small group, and I'm a worship sure. leader or whatever. Yeah. So what is the basic fundamental thing that has to change yeah. today? Yeah. Conviction. You need a breakthrough in a way where the Lord has to show you the seriousness of where you're at. And for me, that was when all my sin got exposed and my double life came colliding together and it was exposed in such a raw and like exaggerated way that I, there was no denying it. It was it was like obvious what was going down. And that built a conviction in me that something is really wrong with my life right now. And conviction is what will start the process because until you have conviction over something, you're probably not going to do anything about it. Like if you don't think it's a real issue, then why would you make radical changes? Another illustration that I've used regularly is cancer. Okay, and that's a personal testimony myself. For myself, I had a a small lump on the side of my neck, and it had been growing there for a couple months, maybe three or four months, and it was getting maybe larger, and it wasn't bothering me, wasn't painful, I wasn't worried about it, and it was there. So eventually, you know, I went to the emergency room up up at the VA to go get a a a scan and just see what does this thing. Maybe we could just get rid of it. And then when they did the scan is when they revealed that you actually have these bumps <laughs> all throughout your body and you have cancer throughout your whole body. <laughs> and it was like, and we're going to talk to oncology and we're going to start a, a cancer workup. You know, like that changed everything from this bump that had been sitting on my neck for three or four months. Now I'm like a cancer diagnosis and there's cancer throughout my body. And if I don't treat this thing, it's going to kill me. Everything changed. Now it was like that became the most important thing in my life to deal with. Hmm. And it became the priority. And so that what was that? It didn't change, right? I just got the conviction or I got the diagnosis. And in a man who's struggling with his sexual addiction, that's sometimes what he needs. He needs an encounter with the Lord that's going to give him that conviction that, like, dude, your life is full of cancer that's going to kill you if you don't deal with this. Hmm. Your life is full of sin, and if you don't get rid of this, like, you're going to end up in hell. That's what Jesus said in, in, on the Sermon on the Mount. He's like, you've got to be radical about how you're handling this stuff and stop just labeling it as some minor struggle. You're minimizing it. You're justifying it. It's not going to help, and it's going to end terribly for you. That kind of, like, fiery conviction is like, wow, I better do whatever it takes then. <laughs> yes, okay, now we could work with that. And that's that's what will drive you to do the hard thing is that conviction. Yeah. Yeah, I can totally relate to that. Mm-hmm. Um and I think it works conviction is something that works no matter what level you are. Correct. Yes. You know what <laughs> level of sin you're dealing with. Like I I know from your story that mm-hmm. you were involved in much more severe or extreme forms of sexual sin than I was, you know? Mm-hmm. But man, when I came to the residential program and I started to talk to the Lord about like, okay, they're saying that I have a huge problem in my life. To be honest, I don't really see it. Sure. So can you show me what you see? Mm-hmm. Can you reveal truth to me? And man, when that conviction came about who I was cool. and how God saw me, everything changed. Mm-hmm. I became 
so, so desperate. Yeah. Not to get rid of like some behaviors, but like I'm in serious trouble. (laughs) Well, yeah, because it goes back to where we started with what the Lord really showed us, I think, or, you know, at least showed me is like, no, take away all of this outward stuff, take away the excuses, take away everything, the justifications and all of that, and get down to your heart, the desires in your heart. If they were truly desiring after me, the Lord, right? you wouldn't be in this sexual sin. But because you're in this sexual sin, the Bible says you're following the desires of your heart. That's what it came down to for me. It was like, wow, the Lord had to really show me, like you're saying, I have a deep spiritual desire or a worship issue in my heart. That's yeah. the problem. you know. And that that's really convicting. <laughs> it's not like I need to just you know, shift some outward behavior. Yeah. No, I need a real deep heart change. Yeah. You know, I, I just had this illustration, like, mm-hmm. in a way, if we're just thinking about behaviors, mm-hmm. right, then what could work is, all right, strap me to a gurney mm-hmm. and don't let me up. Just put me in a room, mm-hmm. an empty room, and just feed me mm-hmm. and keep me alive And I won't be able to give over to sexual sin. And the Lord would just say, you are in just as bad a condition Mm -hmm. there as you would be if you're completely giving over because your heart is seriously sick. Yeah. And when you look at Romans 1, he talks about the spiral of degradation. What starts it is they did not acknowledge God as God or give thanks. Mm-hmm. Right? They didn't worship God. Even though they knew God was God, they didn't worship him. It's a heart issue. Yeah. It is a heart issue. Yeah, that's really good. And on this show, we very rarely promote our counseling programs mm-hmm. or whatever, but I just thought that with with this one in particular where we're trying to help some people see that this problem is much bigger mm-hmm. than you are admitting. We do have counseling programs, and both of us went through the residential program. Mm-hmm. You know, if you're talking to a guy who suddenly is realizing, oh my goodness, I've got a huge issue yeah. and I've got to take care of this, why do, you, why do you see the residential program as being so helpful? Sure. Well, I guess I could break it down into like five different aspects of the residential program that I find to be really beneficial. The first one being separation. You're separating yourself from the world, mostly, I mean, as best we can here, but you're not having your cell phone, you're not checking your email throughout the day or any social media. Um, There's no secular music or things like that. And you're in kind of a rural area of Kentucky, so. Right. Yeah, (laughs) you're not at the beach. (laughs) (laughs) Yes. (laughs) But, you know, you're separating yourself from the world system, but then you're also separating yourself from your familiar territory, if you want to say, or yeah. the things that you've um, grown accustomed to. So it, it takes you out of something and puts you in a temporary place that is separate from what you know. And it costs a lot to do that. It's a major sacrifice for anyone to come to a residential program. But I think that's very helpful, because that's what Jesus said when he was dealing with sexual sin. He said, if your right eye causes you to sin, pluck it out. 
<laughs> like, what? If your right arm causes you to sin, cut it off. And I was like, okay, he's talking about radical amputation, radical decisions. So some the, the aspect of separation is pretty big, mm. but it's very biblical to do that. Make a big cutting off of your life. So that's an aspect of the program that I think is very helpful is the separation. Um, the second aspect would be truth. We're a biblical counseling ministry. We don't integrate with any medical science type of things, approach. We're not going to go and uh, treat your sexual sin as a mental disorder or as a disease. We're not going to give you that label. And with biblical counseling, we have the Word of God, and we have the power of Jesus Christ. So that that's the thing is is you could come in the worst of sinners <laughs> with the worst condition, mm-hmm. even whatever, come in with a secular diagnosis of being the worst addict possible. It doesn't matter. Jesus is able to set you free, and he promises that he who he sets free is free indeed. Mm-hmm. So it's not just like some minor fix. It's actually you are completely free. And Jesus can heal broken things. He can heal broken hearts. He actually says he's near the brokenhearted. And you could say, yeah, well, that's great, but I'm like spiritually dead. Well, we were all dead in our trespasses and sins, and if it wasn't for the God's mercy, he could raise you back to life. <laughs> Jesus can do that. And we have to be careful, you know, why would I choose Pure Life or a biblical counseling program? Well, because Paul warns us that in the last days, what's going to happen with all of this self-love and sexual sin coming rampant, uh, people are not going to want to hear biblically sound doctrine. He warned us of this, and he said, you know, people are just going to want to go and find what their itching ears, I think is what he referred to, their itching ears want to hear. They're basically going and finding what they want, and it's a caution and it's a warning. No, stick true to the Word of God, because that's the only way you're going to find freedom. Yeah, and I think like a per- when a person is coming awake to the fact that they've mm-hmm. got a serious issue, then they need to be bathed in truth yeah. for a long time. This, Even if you didn't come to a residential program, sure. like something seriously different needs to be happening in your whole life. Mm-hmm. And I think, yeah, part of what you're saying is like, listen, you're going to get, you're going to get nine months where you're just being saturated in the truth, like sure. when, when you went through your cancer, you yeah. didn't need like yeah. a dose of chemo once every 10 years, yeah. like you needed regular. Yeah, yeah. It was a, yeah, a major treatment, <laughs> of course, yeah. And you could say, you know, you can kind of shy away from that, and a lot of people do. They don't want to go through the treatment for the cancer, and they push it off and push it off. But you could basically lie to yourself, as we're saying that you're going to hear the truth here because it's the Word of God. But you can just lie to yourself and keep pushing it off. Or you could go to a secular counseling treatment center, and they'll, they will diagnose you with a disease. Like we just read, that was, that was you know, from the National Institute of Health. They'll give you this disease or this disorder, and they may be able to provide you with some medications that will help modify or, or really just suppress your behavior. But there, it's not really going to treat the heart issue. Yeah. The other thing that we do here is provide you with accountability. And that's important just in any aspect. You've got to have accountability. Simply just living in the light with someone that's been through sexual sin, and and all of our staff have gone through one of our programs, right? So it's like 
talking with someone who's been through it, been there, done that, knows what it's like, but they're walking in victory, that's a huge blessing. It's very helpful to talk to someone like that. And let's face it, you can't fix this problem yourself. <laughs> if you could fix this problem yourself, we wouldn't be having this conversation, right? Yeah. <laughs> so I tell guys all the time, it's like, well, your best thinking got you here, right? So you need help. You need someone who's going to walk you out of this. And especially if you're further on down this, uh, your spiral of degradation, or if you've been in sin for a while, you're not just going to be able to get out of this on your own. You need help. And that's what that accountability here can offer you. You're going to meet with your counselor at least once a week. You can meet with staff throughout the week, you know, and, and that kind of accountability to help you and support you through this is very helpful. Mm, yeah. And I think also just to kind of clarify as well that accountability does not mean that you just check in with somebody and explain how you fell and then they go, oh, okay, yeah. okay, I hear you. Mm-hmm. You know, accountability biblically really is discipleship. Mm-hmm. So now you have a counselor that you are accountable to, Yes. right? Mm-hmm. To not just hear the word, but to do it. Yeah. And so as you begin to hear things like, all right, what's one one way to come out of uh, mm-hmm. sexual sin is that when you begin to deal with fantasy, you turn away from your fantasy mm-hmm. and you begin to meditate on scripture or you mm-hmm. begin to pray or... Yeah. And how are you doing with that? Are you yeah. doing it? Yeah. Because yeah, <laughs> that's what like, matters. Yeah, I feel like telling like the wives and the family members, like, this isn't just another confession circle here where, yeah, my husband's been going to that, com- you know, he's been confessing at, you know, SA for 20 years and it doesn't do anything. Yeah. So what's there? No, we're gonna, confession is part of it, but we're going to hold you accountable and expect change. Yes. And expect you to do something about it. That is, man, that is so <laughs> huge. It's amazing how just some of the most simple truths the most simple put-ons in a way, mm-hmm. when you begin to actually do what yeah. the Word of God is telling you to do instead of just being here and not a doer, yeah. lo and behold, <laughs> things <works>. change, <laughs> yeah. you know? Yeah, no, it's, it's so true. So we will help you. We will help you with that. And we're, when we're helping you from a point of understanding and compassion, we've been there. Yeah, we know what it's right. like. Yeah, um, another thing was the atmosphere, and the godly atmosphere on this campus is something that is very hard to explain unless you, you just come to the campus, but it's just one of those things that you hear these testimonies, and it's true, that, man, I caught onto the campus, and there was such an atmosphere of peace yeah. and love and joy here, like what's going on here? And it's really an atmosphere that's bathed in prayer. The staff prays regularly for the atmosphere, regularly for the students, regularly for the ministry and the operation going on here. So, you know, and from a student's perspective, you either have prayer, Bible study, or a uh, worship service every single night of the week. So, like, you're immersing yourself in that atmosphere, not to mention on top of that, you have homework that includes additional Bible study, like your personal application type of Bible studies videos and stuff. So you're like jumping into this godly atmosphere that's surrounded and bathed with prayer, full of the Word of God. Um, You can't avoid like either having to do something with that. Either it's going to enter in and change your heart, or you're just going to say, I'm out. I I don't want that much of the Lord. But that that atmosphere really does make a difference. Yeah, which is sort of like, 
I don't know if I would say a bonus addition to the whole separation thing. Yeah. yeah. But, you know, I mean, I think we can think about, ugh, I hate to bring anything to mind, but just think about the atmosphere that comes along with a pornographic website. Sure. You know, yeah. it's it's more than just I saw images. It's this like, it's this feeling, mm-hmm. it's this yeah. influence, it's this power that's mm-hmm. happening that continues. It's it's polluting, it's defiling, it's perverse. Along with, you know, after you're done looking at pornography, there's the despair, there's the hope. Mm-hmm. That's all an atmosphere, yeah. you know? And so yeah. the atmosphere at Pure Life is a godly atmosphere. There's the atmosphere of hope. There's the atmosphere yeah. of peace and freedom. And Yeah, and just last night we had our Thursday night service, and the atmosphere in the chapel when you've got a hundred men, you know, crying out to the Lord for mercy or or worshiping him. And the, this, the atmosphere in that chapel is so powerful at times that, I mean, it, it just draws you into the presence of God. Yeah. It really does. Yeah. And when you open your heart up to that, yeah, he really starts to change you. Well, yeah, that's it. In opening up your heart, that's kind of like my the fifth point there is breakthroughs. Okay. You know, it's opening up your heart to the Lord coming in and doing something. You know, breakthroughs are what I would describe as like God meeting me and having an interaction with me personally. You know, that needs to take place. You need to have an encounter with this Jesus. You need to open up your heart to that. And all of this, all of the the atmosphere, the, the separation, the accountability, all of it sets you up for a real encounter with the love of God. And that's... That's kind of like the goal in, in many ways, is that you would really come into an encounter with who God is, his mercy, his kindness, his love, his compassion, his holiness. And then that is like, that will produce that, what, what you can call a breakthrough. It's like, okay, this is a coming down of this fortress or these chains that have held me in bondage for so many years. And it's those types of encounters with the Lord, a fresh side of the cross. You know, it's those kinds of encounters with his mercy and his goodness that really can lead you to repentance. Mm. And you can't just have intense times with the Lord like that when you're living a busy and frantic life and filling it with maybe some worldliness and a drink here and there and some porn here and there, and then you're like, okay, I have 10 minutes this afternoon. God, I need a breakthrough. Yeah. It's not, it's not going to work that way. You've got to set this thing up, and that's one of the benefits of the residential program mm-hmm. is you are set up for breakthroughs, encounters with the Lord that could actually change your life. Mm. Man, yeah. You know, and I, I think the heart that we would want to communicate is that it's not like we're the only place where you can find Jesus, mm-hmm. or that Jesus is limited to pure life. Correct. None yeah. of that. But come on, like, if we were sitting across the table from somebody who's saying, I'm struggling with sexual sin, and we find out that they've been addicted to pornography for 20 years, yeah. and they've destro- they've been destroying their lives, their marriage is in shambles, their kids are, you know, a wreck because mm-hmm. they've abdicated from their place of responsibility it's like can we just lovingly shake you <laughs> yeah you know and say yeah. come on do you want to do this for the next 10 years yeah because what you've been doing it's just not working yeah yeah it's time to get real if yeah. you if you've been living 
in sexual sin regularly. Call it an addiction if you'd like, but it's a sinful behavior. It's a sinful lifestyle. If you're not convicted about it, ask the Lord to show you truth. What does he see? Ask the Lord for that conviction that'll drive you to do the hard thing, to do the cancer treatment, to do whatever you need to do, to cut off, to pluck out, and then follow through and do it. Whether it's the residential program or whether it's our phone counseling program, do something radical and you will find change is possible. It's truly there because who the sun sets free is free indeed, and that's just true. All right, that's it for this episode. If you'd like more information about our counseling programs, just go to purelifeministries.org and click the counseling dropdown. God bless. We'll see you next time. Purity for Life is a production of Pure Life Ministries. For over 30 years, Pure Life Ministries has been the go-to for those whose lives have been devastated by sexual sin. Visit us on the web for more information about our life-changing counseling programs powerful teaching materials. Also check out our video clips of men and women whose lives have been radically transformed. All that and more at purelifeministries.org.